Don't you love the moments when you get to look at life that has already been lived? We call it retrospect, don't we? Those moments when we get to look back, and we get to look back at sometimes hard seasons and hard moments. Those kind of seasons and moments that we felt like there's no way through. There's no way over. There's no way under. Those moments and seasons where we felt absolutely trapped and out of control. And yet, retrospect gives us this beautiful perspective and gift of looking back and seeing God move us through and over and under. And he takes control. I love looking back at my life. I had a moment and season of my life where I was in Bible college down in Dallas, Texas. Got any Americans in the room? We got, okay, we got, we got a few. We got a few. They were real shy there, though. That was very un-American of you. But I had the opportunity to go down to Dallas, Texas, and man, that, that is a different place. That is a whole different culture. Uh, that's the Bible Belt of America. You got a little bit of everything going on down there. I loved my time down there. I, I was there for a couple years, and I, I made some great lifelong friends and people that invested in me, and I got to invest in them. And then the moment came when I looked at my bank account, and I realized that this young man with a student visa was not going to make it. I was at the point where I wasn't washing my clothes because I couldn't afford the change in the washer. And every once in a while, God would come through and he'd bring what I needed to just wash my clothes or do my laundry. And, but I kind of came to that hard moment and I wasn't done my, my diploma yet. And I came to that hard realization that I wasn't going to make it. And in that moment, I kind of went, God, why? Why? Why are you? I got one more semester. Why can't you just meet my needs and, and, and let me finish this thing out? You called me to let me finish. I, was, I had so much like anger and angst and, and all of it, but I just knew unless something significantly changed, I was not going to make it. And so I had so much angst, and I was wondering, God, what are you doing with this? Fast forward a year and a half later, I had come to Surrey because this school had a sister school in Surrey, B.C., and at that point, I finished my diploma at that school. It was a horrible experience, too. It wasn't a, it wasn't a great experience there, either. So I was kind of like, God, what are you doing? But that's where I met Lisa. And that's where Lisa introduced me to her dad. And that's where her dad hired me on as my first vocational ministry and introduced me to the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. I didn't even know the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada existed at that point. And that's what led to our marriage and to our kids and, and led even to this moment. And so the gift of retrospect and perspective, I get to look back and I get to see God moving even when I didn't understand what he was trying to accomplish, what he was trying to do. Today, as we dig into our series entitled Expected, we get to do so through the lens of retrospect. So, so many unanswered questions have been answered already now for us. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. The story of humanity, both then and now, is to expect a coming king. The story of humanity, 
both then and now, is to expect a coming king. Lord, would you cause us, by your spirit, right now, we acknowledge your presence. And we acknowledge, Holy Spirit, that you reveal Jesus to us. Lord, would you convince us today that you indeed are coming, both in the here and now and at the end of the age. Lord, would you convince us in Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, we, we chatted about this moment in Israel's history, this moment where they, where they wanted to be just like everybody else. Those of you that have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Those, those little arguments you have with your kids, and, and they're just trying to fit in. They just want to be like everybody else. Israel was in that moment. And they came to Samuel, and you remember this. A few weeks ago, we talked about it, and he came to Samuel and said, we want a king just like all the other nations. And Samuel said, that's not a good idea, because God is your king. We follow God. That's the way he set it up. And they said, no, we want a king of flesh. And so Samuel goes to God, and, and Samuel says, God, these people are messing up. This is what they want. And God says, give it to them. But warn them that these kings will rule over them harshly. And so they do. They get their king of flesh. Now fast forward to the first century and the birth of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 2. Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading 2 to 6. And here we find these wise men, also known as magi, have traveled far and they've come to the place they expect to find a new king in the palace. If you don't have a Bible, I would recommend that you pull out your phone right now and just go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible. That's all you got to do. Myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And we want to equip you in God's word. And so if you just go there right now, you'll be able to follow along with us. It says this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, you shall, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, let me ask you a question. After reading this passage, who are the expectant ones? Who are the ones that are expecting a king? Is it the chief priests? Is it the scribes? Is it the people of Israel? No. It's these pagan men from the east. Interesting. Magi from outside of the Jewish tradition. Magi who had to travel far to remind the Jewish people of the promise of their king. They seem to have more expectation of a coming king than the chief priests and the scribes. And, and the scribes and chief priests, they quote the prophet Micah, whose words were recorded some 700 years before Jesus shows up on the scene that first Christmas. 
But they quote him only after the Magi show up and remind them of the expectation and the anticipation of a coming king. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Retrospect affords us this this opportunity to see the Old Testament prophecies of a coming king. Zechariah, some 500 years before the life of Jesus, records this. And and before I read it, I want to just get into just a bit of a teaching moment for those of you that perhaps exploring faith with us today. Here's the significance of what we're talking about when we talk about Old Testament prophecy. Sometimes we think of the Bible as a singular book, and it's not. It's not a singular book. The Bible is a library of books. It's a curated library of books that was written by many, many authors over thousands and thousands of years. And it's been curated together for us today. So here's the significance of that. Jesus had no control over where he was going to be born. And yet, Micah, the prophet, 500 plus years before Jesus comes, says he'll be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. Zechariah, 500, sorry, Micah was over 700 years. Zechariah, over 500 years. He has this prophecy, and we're going to see this played out into the life of Jesus. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The story of humanity, both then and now, is to expect a coming king. Does, Does this sound familiar? Because those of you that have been around for at least one Easter season would recognize this moment because Jesus, during the last season of his life on earth, before being crucified, he rides into Jerusalem, not just on a donkey, but on the colt, the foal of a donkey, fulfilling a prophecy that was declared and written down over five, about 518 years before Jesus ever arrives on the scene. Remember, we have this gift of retrospect. We, we look back and we put the pieces together. But, but who, is, who is expectant here this first Christmas season? Who are those have, who have expectancy in their hearts for a coming king? It's these magi. It's these pagan men from the east. Religion has this way of clouding our view of what we're expecting, doesn't it? These men travel from afar into arguably the most religious hub of the known world. And they find blinded eyes. They find power struggles. They find distractions. I often find myself in the actions of religious activity. I do. I often find myself going through just the actions of religious activity. 
Maybe some of you, you're here, and you're here because this is what you do on a Sunday morning. Your alarm goes off, and you get up, and you brush your teeth, hopefully. And you come to church. And it's what you do. It's activity. It's what you do. But this Christmas season, let me ask you a question. Is it just activity? Is it just activity? You read your Bible and you pray at meals and you pray with your kids before they go down to bed. I have to ask myself this all the time because I catch myself all the time just in the activity of being spiritual with no expectation of the king to show up in that moment. Anybody with me? I hope I'm not alone. Otherwise, I resign. Or we can default to the activities of building our kingdoms so we can be king over them and rule our own lives. Just like Herod. Notice in this moment, Herod hears that there's a coming king and Herod's freaking out. Why? Because he wants to hold his throne. Friends, it's those with the deepest need for a king who have the greatest expectation of his coming. Here's these pagan men from the east with very little point of reference other than looking in the sky and seeing a star birthed and they follow it because their tradition said those moments were about a king. And they go to the one place where they think a king might be, the palace in Jerusalem. It's those with the deepest need for a king who have the greatest expectation of his coming. This Christmas season, we're confronted again with our deep need for a perfect king to rule and reign over our lives. The mature among us aren't mature because they've grown in confidence of their religious practices. The mature among us are mature because their confidence in themselves is regularly shattered and they look to the king. Advent, coming, expectation. May we be a community of faith that realizes our deep need for a king and begin to walk in a renewed expectation. Let's not be those that get trapped in the form of religion, though the forms are important and they're a part of your journey and the disciplines are important and they're a part of your journey. But to do the forms and the disciplines without an expectation of the king showing up is dead religion. This Christmas, let us expect a king to show up. The story of humanity, both then and now, is to expect a coming king. So, so that was then. And even then, there were some miscues and a lack of understanding of what the Messiah, Jesus, was accomplishing. When, when Jesus fulfilled that 500-plus-year-old prophecy by the prophet Zechariah, by, by riding into Jerusalem on the, on the colt, on the foal of a donkey, it was all misinterpreted by the people. Remember, they had asked for a king all those years ago. A king that would rule over them and give them geopolitical power. That's what the ask was about. 
They weren't content with God leading them. They wanted to be like all the other nations and they wanted their power to build and grow and their reputation to build and grow. And now Jesus enters Jerusalem that day and they have this expectation that Jesus will be that geopolitical king that will reclaim the power and the sovereignty of Israel and remove them from the bondage of the Roman Empire. But they didn't realize that Jesus had much bigger fish to fry. He came not to free the Jews from the temporary occupation of Rome. He came to free humanity from the occupation of sin and death. He didn't come to overthrow Caesar. He came to overthrow Satan. He walked in the function of a king. He just did it with a much bigger picture in mind. I wonder, what do we expect from our king? What do we expect from our king? What do I expect from my king? The question is not, will he come? But rather, will I submit to him when he does? Not, will he come? Will I submit to him when he does come? When he does speak? Let me illustrate it this way. There's a short interaction with Jesus recorded in in three of the Gospels where this young man comes to him. And I'm going to read it from Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. Matthew 19, starting verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to them, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. For this young man, it happened to be his riches. Perhaps for some of us, it's not our riches. Perhaps it's our relationships. Perhaps for others here, maybe it's your values and your system, and your way of living life. Perhaps it's your priorities. They just don't line up with the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is king, and will always enter into moments of your life where he asks you to come under his kingship at a great personal cost. That's the nature of becoming a follower. Individualism is sacrificed in order to come under another. Each of us will enter seasons where these decisions must be made. This is what we, we, we talk about when we talk about expecting a king. Not just in his coming or his second coming, but in the here and now. The question is not, will he come? But rather, will I submit to him when he does? This is, this is as much part of Advent as anything. The expectation of his coming as king, as Lord. It brings some sobriety to our Christmas season, doesn't it? I know we like to feel good at Christmas time. 
But this is Advent. This is what it is to expect a coming king. And we ask ourselves afresh and anew, can I come under his lordship? Can I come under his lordship? The story of humanity, both then and now, is to expect a coming king. But there's a third coming that we expect. And every great story carries with it characters, a protagonist, an antagonist. It carries with it an introduction, the setup of the great conflict, the climax, and the resolution. The climax of the story in humanity's case is the coming of Jesus. What we call Christmas. But but it's not just his coming. It's it's his coming in the light of our retrospect, in the light of our perspective, being able to look back and see his life, his three and a half years where he served and he taught and then he gave his life and he died and he's buried and he rose again, defeating death in the grave once and for all. That's the climax of our story. That's the great victory. That's the great defeat of the, the antagonist, Satan. The moment of the cross, his death, and then his resurrection. But there still remains the resolution to the story. What we call, in our circles, the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of the King. And we are still expecting, or, or at least we should be. I, 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 I often wonder why we've lost those moments in our tradition as a church of expecting the coming king. Why have we lost that momentum, that urgency of a coming king? Could it be Because we feel and we've been lulled into believing that we have entered into a pretty good kingdom in the West? Could it be because we don't have the urgent needs of much of the world? We can make it on our own. We can be kings of our own lives, queens of our own lives, and do pretty good. Why have we stopped talking about and expecting and anticipating the second coming of Jesus? Our expectations are not like those who live before Jesus' coming, but as those who have tasted the victory of Christ in our own lives, realizing that that this is not our home, realizing that we live in just a shadow of the beauty that was meant to be and will be established again. I wonder if we have started believing the hype of this utopian world that we've created as humanity. This is just a shadow. This is broken. This is broken. This world is broken. Our culture is broken. I am broken. And like the rich young ruler at times, we misplace our faith. 
And this Christmas, I, I hope to shake you up a little bit. I hope to shake me up a little bit. The Christmas season brings so much complexity. It's funny, I have all these conversations with people, and, and let me see your hands if you have a big family. Of course, all the, anyone associated to the Green family, just get your hand up right now. But you're, you're part of a big family. And here's what happens in big families, and, and in small families, but more, more in big families, Christmas season becomes so complex, doesn't it? Do we buy presents for everybody? What are, what's everybody expecting? What's the sister-in-law expecting? What's the brother-in-law expecting? What are parents expecting? What are grandparents expecting? We can't afford this. What do we do? An expectation, it becomes so complex and it becomes so stressful. And I've had conversations with people where, where they're walking through this, especially when seasons change in family dynamics. People get married or people have kids and things change. I have it in my own. I have a large family. And we walk into the Christmas season with all of this stress, trying to manage the complexities of everybody's expectations. And we forget about the king and his expectations. We forget about the king and what he's calling us to. The story of humanity, both then and now, is to expect a coming king. And we can be like the religious rulers of the first century, distracted, positioning, building our own kingdoms, lost in the forms and activities of religion. Or we can be like the Magi who anticipated a coming king. Who anticipated a coming king. And friends, in our paradigm, those of us who have given Jesus our lives, we get to expect him in two ways. We get to expect him right now. through his spirit speaking to us. And we get to expect his second coming because he's coming again and he will fix this world. He will bring wholeness and restoration to the original intentions of creation. He's coming. Are you expecting him? Are you expecting him? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Lord, we ask that you would you would position our hearts today, this Christmas season, to be expectant, to anticipate, Lord, your work, to anticipate your coming, to even anticipate some of the hard things that you may call us to do or to change or to be. Lord, we take a season, we take a moment to listen for your expectations, 
this Christmas season in our lives, in our families. Lord, we want to build our lives on your truth. We want to build our lives on your way. Lord, this Christmas season, we just submit ourselves fresh, new. We declare you as king. King of kings and Lord of lords. Commander of angel armies. God Almighty. King of my heart. King of my heart. In Jesus' name.